You know, I love the song that, uh, that they uh, helped me with that. It's the uh, Heritage Singers. How wonderful it is to be with God's wonderful people. How many of you know that song? Maybe we have to sing it sometime. Before we begin with a closer walk, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, our almighty God, and our Savior, and our holy comforter, be with us now as we learn a closer walk. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I wanted to begin by sharing with you a little bit about myself. I guess you can call it my testimony. When I first began school, my mother used to walk me to school and then she'd pick me up. She'd, and she walked because the school was nearby. And then when school was over, she'd go and pick me up, take me to school or take me home. So both ways. And every year that I went to school, they enrolled me in a Seventh-day Adventist school. So I don't mind telling you that that's the best school to go to, our school, our Seventh-day Adventist school. And every year we had a Bible class. We called it Bible or religion or whatever you want to call it. And my mother would study with me every night so that I could turn my lesson in every day. And we would go through the whole Bible and learn lessons in the Bible. I did this with my mother until I graduated from high school. We call it an academy, but you know, that's grades nine through 12. And then guess what? I left my home and went to a university that was Riverside. It's known as La Sierra University. But when I went to school there, it was the Loma Linda University, but the La Sierra campus. And I took Bible classes every year that I studied in the university. I wonder why that was. Do you think it's because of the way my parents taught me when I was young? It says, train up a child what you want them to learn, and then when they grow up, they will not depart from it. So I took Bible. In some years, I took more than one Bible class at the same time. And I studied many things like Bible prophecy, Daniel, Revelation. But you know, in my walk, I did stray like most of us. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And he will always take you back when you ask. That's so all you need to do is say, be with me, be with me. I want a closer walk. You study the Bible, you pray, and then you share it with others. And you do that all the time. 
It may seem like a lot, but after a while, it becomes a passion. Now, my straying was that I did things that I'm not proud of. And I did it out of peer pressure. My friends said, let's go out and have fun. And the fun wasn't where my guardian angel would actually lead me or join me. And again, I wasn't proud about it. But when I left school, I became a deacon in my church. I taught the Sabbath school in the junior department with my wife Bonnie and another friend for 10 years. We did that, we led the junior department. And then I was asked to be a deacon, maybe I already said that, but until I think it was 2006, my church asked me if I would be an elder, church elder. And two years ago, the nominating committee asked me if I, if I would be their head elder. And that's where I am today. I love to teach. I teach the Sabbath school lesson. And I lead the men of our church. Also, I mentor young people, whatever age, young and those that are in college or those that are older. I think you're never too young or too old to receive a mentorship and be taught a closer walk. And so I want to begin my message with a man in the Bible named Job. Now we know Job to be a man of patience, but you know if you look at his life in the book of Job in the Bible, we find that he had a closer walk. And let's take a look at Job's closer walk. It says he was a righteous man who was also very rich. And you wonder, okay, just how rich was he? Starting out with the first chapter, verse 1 of the book of Job. In the land of Uz, there was a man named Job. And this man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. You know another word in another Bible version says he eschewed evil. And you might say that he did not like evil. You might say he hated evil, which you know God hates evil, right? There's nothing good about evil. He ran from evil. And in order to make sure that he resisted, he was a man of prayer. Well, let's go on. It says that he had seven sons and three daughters. You know, most would say that when you have children, there are blessings, and you are a rich man. You are a rich man with your children. Verse 3 says, he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, donkeys, and a large number of servants. You imagine how many servants it takes to take care of these animals? That's a lot of animals. 
What? Absolutely. How many? There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. And also it says he was the greatest man among the people of the East. Why do you think he was the greatest man? He worshiped God. He was fair. He showed his love in others. He loved his servants. He loved his children. He loved his wife. He loved his friends. He loved everyone. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them. Now these would be his children and his wife, thinking perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And this was Job's regular custom. You know what a custom is? What is a custom? That's a habit. It's what you do daily, right? You know, in the Bible it says it was Jesus' custom to go and worship in the synagogue on the seventh-day Sabbath. That was his custom. So Job's custom was to pray, offer sacrifices. And you know, sadly, when you offer a sacrifice, it means the death of a lamb or a death of a bullock or one of the cattle that he had. That's pretty sad when it takes that to sacrifice to the Lord. We know we do not do that anymore. And I won't get into that, but I'm glad they don't. Verse 8 tells us Satan was there, and God asked Satan, what have you been up to? And God knew. This isn't part of the text, but I want to tell you that Satan was all over the earth, coming and going here and there and everywhere. And he thought it was his earth. You know, he thought he was the prince of this earth. But he was kidding himself. So then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? You know, there's no one on earth like him. He's blameless. He's upright. A man who fears God and shuns evil. Isn't that quite a testimony to Job that God would say that he's blameless? He's upright and he shuns evil. Verse 9 says, God, does God fear, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything that he has? You bless the work of his hands so that the flocks and the herds are spread throughout the land. If you stretch out your hand and strike, Everything that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. You know, Satan is the great accuser. He accuses of us of things that he's seen us do, so he knows. But we can be thankful to God that God has grace, and he forgives us. So, this was the first test for Job. God was going to allow Satan to do whatever he wanted to hurt Job in the, the most horrible way that he could. Verse 12, very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. 
And then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. That's a challenge. It's a test to Job. And he's telling Satan, do whatever you want to do with this man, but don't kill him. I'm not going to let you do that. Verse 20. Well, I want, to, I want to go on to say what it was that his test, he was tested in. And first, the first chapter of Job, and I won't go into the text, but I want to tell you exactly what it was that Satan caused. He sent Sabians who stole his 500 oxen, his 500 donkeys, killed all of Job's servants except for one who came and told Job what had happened. And then fire fell down from the sky and it burned up all 7,000 sheep with all the servants but one. I can only imagine how Job must have felt. He must have felt the world was coming crashing down on him. And then there were the Chaldeans, three raiding parties. They took all 3,000 of his camels. Now, you know, camels are a beast of uh, burden, and they use them in caravans, and they put all, whatever, the heaviest stuff on the camel. And then it says the Chaldeans killed the servants, but one. And every one that was spared went back to tell Job. And then the last calamity that Job experienced regarding all of his possessions is a mighty wind came out from the desert and it killed his children, all seven sons and all three daughters. You know, Every one of us would be upset if that happened to us. Every one of us. And at this point, Job, Job got up, and it says he tore his clothes. And usually when something bad happens, at that time, you would like, or Job would like get into a pile of ashes and he'd change into uh, different clothes. Now that was the first test. But in verse 20, it tells us that he fell to the ground in worship. He worshiped God. That was the first test. The second test for Job, verse, um, chapter 2, verse 3, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's a man who fears God and shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will give all that he has for his own life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and his bones. He will surely curse you to your face. 
The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. Well, that second test was that he was completely covered with boils or sores. The Bible, it says, from his head to his feet, sores everywhere. Just imagine when he's walking, the, the soles of his feet were, were filled with boils. And everything he touched, you know, boils. Boils on his arms, his hands, his legs, his back, shoulders, everywhere, face. And his wife noticed the, the suffering he was going through. And his wife said to Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Who needs that from someone that's supposed to be your helper, your mate, your spouse? Curse God and die, she says. <clears throat> and then Job says, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. He continued to pray. He continued to give God the glory. I would say that Job passed those two tests, wouldn't you? He passed those tests. And you know, Job had three friends. And when the three friends came to visit him, they saw that he was sitting in the ashes and the... And the some kind of cloth, and they had sympathy. They felt sorry for him, and they came up to him, and they were quiet, and they spent a whole week with Job, a whole week. The Bible says seven days and seven nights, and they said nothing. They just sat with him, and I'm sure that at this time Job prayed, maybe his, his uh, friends prayed, but after that week, giving all the sympathy they could, these three friends of Job named Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they said, you know what? No innocent man has all these things happen. You must have done something, Job. You must deserve what has happened to you. Now, you know what? I have seen and heard and read that bad things happen to good people. And yet, some will blame it on God. It's never God's fault for anything bad that happens. We should praise God for everything. We should praise him for every good thing that he's done for us. And we blame the bad things on just the one evil liar, Satan, whoever. He's to blame for this. And Job shows this in this um, story in Job that it was Satan that caused all these things. He caused all these things that happened to Job. Job 13, 15, and 16 says, Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance, for no godless man would dare come before him. Job knew that he was blameless. 
He's done everything God has asked him to do. Everything. He's prayed. He's worshiped. He's sacrificed. He's, he's prayed the intercessory prayer for his, his family, his children, his wife, his servants, everyone there in the community. He prayed for them. Now we know that's the will of God. We just know that's the will of God. And the proof that Job felt this way is in Job 19.25. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. Now, I don't know how Job knew this, but he said it on faith. And you know what they say about faith. The just shall live by faith. We do not live by what we see. We live by what God tells us. And we don't always see it, but we have faith. That's how we have a closer walk. Without this closer walk, we will never spend time with Jesus. We won't pray. We won't study. We won't share with others. We won't share the fruits, or the fruit. We know that's the fruit of the Spirit. First thing is we need to love. Did Job love? Yes, he did. He showed it in all his actions. And now here's the end of the story. I'm sure you all want to know what that end is. Job 42. Then Job replied to the Lord, after he'd had all this time talking to the Lord, saying, I know I haven't done anything, and I'm, I'm, I'm thank you for listening to me. But Job says, I know that you can do all things, and no plan of yours can be thwarted. Has any of God's plans ever been thwarted? Have they? Have they? What say you? Friends, we know that answer. God's plans are never thwarted. I can think of one wonderful plan. It's called the plan of redemption, or some will say the plan of salvation. Was that thwarted? Did Satan thwart that? No way. Satan might have talked himself into thinking so, but you know Satan is wrong. He's wrong, he's wrong. And after Job prayed for his friends, again praying for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him how much? Twice as much as he had had before. Now who knows the math here and how many of the cattle and the, and the donkeys? I mean, you know, if he had 500 before, now he's got 1,000. Or if he had 7,000 before, it's 14,000. Or if it's 6,000, it's 12,000. Whatever those numbers are, he had twice as much. Now that's a good example to all of us that when we walk with the Lord and we have that closer walk, what he gives to us is more than we'll ever ask for, more than we could maybe ever desire or think that we could get. And it, God gives it to us. And it says our cup will overfill
The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's, Job's uh, life more than the first. I mean, we all know that's true. His second part of his life was so much better. And why was it better? Anybody? Friends, you know the answers. He stayed faithful. He stayed faithful to God. Absolutely. Absolutely. In verse 12, as I was saying, he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 oxen, 1,000 donkeys. And it says he also had seven sons and three daughters. Now you might ask, what happened to the other children? You know what? Yes. But because of Job's faith, because of his patience, because he was a blameless man, I believe that he will see them again in heaven Amen. when Jesus comes again. I mean, I think they were pretty innocent when their lives were taken from them. I think they were pretty innocent, and they must have had the faith of Job. They must have had the faith. But after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. He got to see his family grow and grow and grow. <clears throat> Does that make us want to have a closer walk? Job walked with, with God so close that no matter what happened to him, no matter what was taken from him, his children, all of his possessions, his, his livestock, and then suffer with boils, I just, I can't believe. But Job had the closer walk. Let's, let's take that closer walk. How many of you recognize this man? I mean, his name's up there, Desmond Doss. Desmond Doss was a Seventh-day Adventist. He enlisted as a conscientious objector. Now, what does that mean, conscientious objector? He was willing to serve his country and his fellow man, but he would not pick up a gun or a rifle or any other weapon to use on his fellow man. And they tried to boot him out of the U.S. Army when he enlisted, 1942. They tried to court-martial Desmond Doss. But there was a law against court-martialing any conscientious objector. Now, conscientious objectors also tried to stay out of the war because they did not believe that they ought to be harming or killing their fellow man. Also, in his biography, it says that he once, one night during a battle, saved 75 men who were wounded on the field of battle. One night, 75. I don't know how he did it. Where did he get his strength? God. God, absolutely, absolutely. He served as an army corporal. He served as a medic in the Pacific conflict. And you see the years there. He served for, what is that, four or five years? During World War II, he fought in three battles of the Pacific, that part of World War II. He had been awarded two bronze stars, and he was awarded the Medal of Honor. You know what? It was because of his closer walk 
that he was able to do what he did. Desmond Doss is a good example to us of what we should be all about, and that is having a closer walk with the Lord. Desmond fought in Guam, the island in the Pacific, right in the middle. He fought in the Philippines, and he fought the famous Battle of Okinawa. Okinawa. Okay, it's Japanese territory, absolutely. That was a bloody battle of Okinawa. I know that there was a movie made, and it was something Ridge. And I could look it up on my phone, but what? It, Hacksaw. Hacksaw Ridge. Hacksaw. Man, what a name. You know, his fellow comrades had to climb up a rope net, and they had to climb up a ridge onto the field of battle. Well, you know where they were fighting, they had to hold that Okinawa, that island. They had to hold it because the Japanese would get an upper hand. Well, his friends were dying, and they were getting injured and shot. And all through the night, Desmond Doss prayed. He prayed not only for the men that he knew, not only those that he served with, but he also prayed for the enemy. He prayed for everybody. He prayed for the strength to lower down off that ridge as many men who were still alive to save them. And when it was asked, who's bringing all these men down here into our mass units? I think that's the right term and providing them with whatever emergency surgery, blood, medical attention, and saving these men. And the answer came back from the men who were injured. That's Desmond Doss up there. You know, Desmond Doss, his bravery was because of God being with him. He prayed on that field of battle. He prayed all night long. And he said, if I can just save one more. And you know, when he enlisted, they asked him, what are you doing in this army if you're not going to fight? And he said, I came to save lives. I did not come to take lives. And that's what Desmond did. He saved 75 men. He may have saved more. And he was, after a battle and they had to retreat, he was kind of injured, but not injured that bad. And one asks, you've got all this blood on you. And he says, it's not mine. It's the men that I lowered to safety. And there were several times when Desmond was shot at, and those shots missed. It's because the bullets were not intended for Desmond. God protected him. And one captain said to him, Desmond, at first, I did not want to serve with you. I did not want you to be my medic because you wouldn't carry a gun. And he says, I'm so sorry I misjudged you. He says, I won't go back without you. And he says, the men need you. You see, the other medics were killed in the battle. He was the only medic. And of course, Desmond went back. And he prayed before he went to battle. And his... Comrades knew it, 
And they said, Desmond, pray for us. And they said, come to battle with us. We're not gonna go up there and fight again. We'll take the court martial. Come to the battle with us. And they said, pray for us. And so he was praying and he was praying. And the captain came around and says, why haven't those men gone up back onto the field of battle at Hacksaw Ridge? And the reply was, Desmond is not finished praying. The men won't go up until he's finished. And you know, that captain, that commanding officer respected Desmond Doss as well as everyone else. After the war, President Harry Truman awarded the Medal of Honor on the White House lawn in 1945. You know, Desmond served an additional year. And it says here that Desmond saved the lives of 75 men with only his pack of medical supplies and his Bible. His Bible was with him. And when he thought he'd lost it, he kept crying out while he's laying on the stretcher. He's injured this time. He says, where's my Bible? And some of the men went back to look for it, and they found it. It wasn't in good shape, but it was his Bible. You know, I know, friends, we consider our Bibles one of the most prized things that we have, that we can hold on to. You want to say something? You want to know his, um, the rest of that biography? Uh, okay, he was born in 1919, and born on February 7th, and he lived to be 87 years old, he passed away in March the 23rd, 2006. And when he was interviewed, he would say he could only do that with the help of Jesus. He could only do it if he had that closer walk. He never carried um, a weapon. He never carried a gun or a firearm. He was born in Lynchburg, Virginia, and he passed away in Piedmont, Alabama. A faithful servant of God. Amen. He lived to be 87 years old. That's not too far from 90. My mother lived to be 90. And it's because of the trust that we have in God. Desmond had a closer walk with God. Now our text for this morning, found in Hebrews 11.5. It's about a man who walked with God. Friends, what is this man's name? Enoch. Enoch, where's Enoch today? He is in heaven. He walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. What do you see on that picture? What is it you see? It's a picture of his sandals. He left those behind. He didn't need them where he was going. Genesis 5 tells us that when Enoch lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. What do we know about Methuselah? the longest living man on earth. On earth. But you know what? Enoch has him beat because Enoch never died. How old is Enoch? He's thousands, right? Thousands. What is he, 6,000? 
I, I, I lost count. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God for how many years? 300, 300 years. Not 60 years, not 80 years, not three score and 12, but uh, 300 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Even there, having other sons and daughters, he obeyed God. You know, in Genesis, it says, be fruitful and multiply. Enoch was, and he, he, he was exactly what God had had him do. He walked with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. God didn't take his life. He came to this earth, and he, he basically walked the closer walk with Jesus all the way to heaven. Now, we know that they didn't walk to heaven, but he got there by a wonderful, omnipotent power. Hebrews 11, 5, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. There it is. He never experienced death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. Before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. I'm proud of the young man that read that text today. He was one that was known to please God. Amen. Friends, what do we do to please God? Worship we worship him on what day? Saturday. And how, how long do we worship him? Every week. 24 hours, Sabbath. Every Sabbath. Throughout eternity, right? Friday, sundown, we study. Saturdays. We read the Bible. We pray. We share with others what we have. Enoch had that closer walk, and with that closer walk, he was rewarded without having seen death. I have some other things I want to share with you about Enoch before I finish the message today, and I'm sorry I've gone over maybe. Ellen White wrote a book, Patriarchs and Prophets. How many of you are familiar with that book? What's in that book? Stories. stories. Wonderful stories. We find in the Bible as well. Page 85, 84 and 85 tells us that Enoch loved and feared God and kept his commandments. God's remnant keep how many of the commandments? All ten. All ten. And they have faith in Jesus. They have faith in Jesus. And that's what it takes to have eternal life, is a closer walk. After the birth of his son, Enoch reached a higher experience. He was drawn into a closer relationship with God. I like to fit in the word walk. A closer walk, that means a relationship. Enoch's walk with God was not in a trance or in a vision, but in all the duties of his daily life, he lived the will of God. In the family and in his connection with men, as a husband and a father, a friend and a citizen, he was steadfast, unwavering servant of God. Steadfast. What is steadfast? He stood for the truth. He stood for the righteousness of God. He was steadfast and unmoving. His heart was in harmony with whose will? God's. God's will. 
We should not be in harmony with man's will. Man's will is corrupt and evil. God's will is pure and righteous and loving. His heart, his heart was in harmony with God's will. Can two walk together except they agree? Amos 3.3. 3. Can you really have a closer walk? Can you really have a relationship with Jesus or with any other person for that matter unless you agree on something? We need to agree with God in everything. Amen. Enoch's faith waxed stronger. His love became more ardent with the lapse of centuries. Not years, but centuries. Enoch was in constant communion with heaven. Can we be in communion with heaven today? Yes. How? Prayer, absolutely, and Bible study. Enoch spent much time in solitude. I wonder what he did in solitude. Prayer, listening to God, and giving himself to meditation and prayer, and thus he waited before the Lord, seeking a clear knowledge of his will that he might do what? Perform it, live it, walk it. Not just talk it, but walk it. To him, prayer was as the breath of what? The soul. And the breath of the soul is the breath of God. He lived in the very atmosphere of heaven. When we pray, are we in the atmosphere of heaven? Yes. Absolutely, we're in the atmosphere of heaven. In prophetic vision, Enoch was instructed concerning the death of Christ. That was the fruition of the, the salvation, the plan of salvation. And he was shown his glory coming again, coming in glory, attended by who? All his holy angels to ransom his people from where? The grave. are those and also those who are still living. Does that say page 86? 86. 86. I haven't really looked back here, and I'm, I guess you can see that. It's not too small. It was the Spirit of Christ that spoke through Enoch in the midst of the life of active service. Enoch steadfastly maintained his communion with God, and the greater and more pressing his labors, the more constant and earnest were his prayers. You know, the Bible says that one of the first things that Moses did when he was troubled, and he did not know what to do with the misbehaving children of Israel, it says he fell on his face and prayed to God Almighty. That's the first thing we do. It's the first thing we do when we're in trouble, when we're hurting, when something bad's happening. That's what Job did. That's what Desmond Doss did. They chose a closer walk. They chose a closer walk. He was earnest in all his prayers. He was constant in his prayers. He continued to ex exclude himself at certain periods from all society after remaining for a time among the people, laboring to benefit them by instruction and example. He would withdraw to spend a season in solitude, hungering and thirsting for that divine knowledge which God alone can impart. Does that remind you of somebody that went off into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights? Christ. Jesus, Jesus, absolutely. 
Communing thus with God, Enoch came more and more to reflect the divine image. Where, where, we, where Adam and Eve created in God's image. You know, we've lost God's image through time and sin and wickedness. We're not in the image of God truly anymore because man does not follow God's will. His face was radiant with a holy light and even the light that shineth in the face of Jesus. When Jesus was transfigured on the mount, his face was shining and Peter, James, and John noticed it and they all looked with awe. Well, this is the way that Enoch looked. As the face shining, shining face of God. As he came forth from these divine communings, even the ungodly beheld with awe the impress of heaven upon his countenance. They probably asked him, where have you been, Enoch? We have missed you. We haven't seen you for quite a long time. Where have you been? And his reply was, I've been communi communing with God. What a witness. What a closer walk. Enoch left, it says society. He left his family and friends to have a closer walk with Jesus. The men of that generation mocked the folly of him who sought not to build gold or silver or to build up possessions here. There's nothing in the Bible that says that Enoch was a rich man. He did not care about the riches of this earth. Enoch's heart was on the eternal treasures, treasures that he could enjoy everlasting. He looked upon the celestial city. What is the celestial city? In a new Jerusalem, it's heaven. He has seen the king in his glory in the midst of Zion. His mind, his heart, his conversation were in heaven. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Would you say that Enoch's um, heart was pure? I would say so, because he's, he has seen God and he's with God. For 300 years, Enoch had been seeking purity of soul, that he might be in harmony with heaven. For three centuries, he had walked with God day by day. He walked with God. He had longed for a closer union, a closer walk. Nearer and nearer had grown the communion until God took him to himself. I love this last paragraph or a couple of sentences that Alan White writes. He had stood at the threshold of the eternal world only a step between him and the Lord, or land, thank you, the land of the blessed. What does that mean, threshold? What is a threshold? It's right there. You can see it. You can touch it. You can step towards it. You can have that walk with Jesus to reach it. And now the portal's open, and the walk with God, the long pursuit on earth, 300 years, continued as he passed through the gates of what? Can you see? You can't see through me, can you? I'm sorry. Can you see Dan? Fine. I'm sorry, because I see, I see you going like this. That's okay. <laughs> Passed through the gates of the holy city, and it says the first from among men to enter there. Amen. You know, if you know the Bible, you know that that's absolutely true. Enoch was the first. Now, we know later on from the book of Exodus and Jude that Moses was resurrected, and he is in heaven now.
And you know these two men, Enoch and Moses, they represent those of God's people, the remnant when Jesus comes again. There are those like Enoch will be translated without ever having seen death. There are those that will raise from the grave like Moses. Did Enoch have a closer walk? Well, God said so, and so I can accept that. How many of you today want to have a daily closer walk? A daily closer walk with Jesus. Amen. You know what? It's a guarantee of our destiny. It's a guarantee of our eternal life. A guarantee. You know how guarantees are or warranties are today in this world? They only last 90 days. They only last three years. This is a guarantee that lasts forever and ever and ever. When you have that closer walk, when you decide that you will walk the walk instead of walking or talking the walk, that Jesus will be by your side all the way. And as we sang earlier, all the way with Jesus. Jesus is all the world to me. How can you have a better friend than Jesus? How can you have a better friend? And now I would like to have our closing song. Is there a...